I would like us to spend perhaps two sessions on the prayer in Acts 4, 23 to 30. I think it's the longest prayer in the book of Acts. And to ponder what Luke, in recording the prayer and the church in praying the prayer, wanted us to understand. It's clear that they wanted to be heard by God because it's a prayer. But I think it's surprising, perhaps, that what they want us to understand is is something about God. And then, secondarily, uh, something about um, what kind of prayer flows from such a view of God. So in this session, we'll, we'll look at this part of the prayer right here, not the entire thing, and next time we'll go ahead and finish it. And I think the focus is, and you, you test me now, on whether you think the focus in the first part of this prayer is to draw out the kind of God that the early church under persecution is confidently praying to. So, Father, we pray now to a sovereign God that you would take this prayer from the Bible and shape our prayers with it by shaping our view of you, making our views of you more biblical, more true to reality. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as soon as we start reading, we realize we have to get the situation clear. When they were released, well, who, who's they and what's the release? The they is uh, Peter and John, the apostles. And in chapter 3, verse 7, they had healed a man at the beautiful gate in the temple. They said, we don't have any money so this beggar couldn't expect that from them. But then they said, what we have, you can have in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. <laughs> and he started leaping and running through the temple, which created quite a scene. And they gave an account to the people of what had happened. And they were in chapter 4, verse 3, arrested by the priests and the Sadducees. And they kept them under arrest overnight. And then in chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, they were interrogated. Might be good to look at that. So here's the interrogation. So you get the sense of what they're up against and what they're accused of. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. This is a major um, gathering of, of concerned, angry opposition. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? And then in the next uh, nine verses or so, Peter gives his speech to the authorities. And since 
their prayer that begins in verse 23 says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. We need to get that clear. So what had they said to them? And here's what we read in 16 to 18. They say among themselves, what shall we do with these men, Peter and John? For that, the, that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, name of Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So that's what they had said to them. Do not speak in the name of Jesus. So when they come after their release and the church hears what had been said, when they heard it, so when they heard what had been spoken, they lifted their voices to God and said, now here's the prayer, longest prayer in the book of Acts. Sovereign Lord, despotes is the, is the uh, Greek word. So the first thing they do is identify him with a strong word of power and authority. Now, how much power and authority? And the next two clauses that begin with these, these words, who... That's one. Who? That's another. So two designations of the kind of, of sovereignty that the Lord has. So they're not asking for anything for a long time yet. They're just identifying God in the face of God. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So everything in the earth, all the Sadducees, all the Pharisees, all the priests, all the rulers, all the temple, all the prisons, everything that you can bring against us, God made it. And of course, the implication of this making here is not like an assembly line worker, right? So here comes a two pieces down the assembly line and, and the job of the assembly line worker is to put the two pieces together and make something. That's not the picture, right? This is, this is the creator of the earth. There wasn't anything before. The creator of heavens, the creator of the sea. This is God making all things and everything in them, which implies then ownership, right? Ownership. It implies his authority, over it. He has rights to rule it. So they are elevating, magnifying, extolling God as sovereign maker of all their enemies and his ownership of them, his authority over them. Now, it gets even more specific with the next identifier of who this God is that they are now praying to. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Who? 
through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said... I'll just pause there, just, just a brief minute. This is not mainly about the inspiration of Scripture, but I can't pass over this too quickly. So you've got a sovereign Lord, a God in heaven, and he is speaking, speaking through David by the Spirit, and then they start quoting Psalm 2. So it goes like this, God, through Holy Spirit, through David, in Psalm. That's what we have in the scriptures. They rooted in God by the agency of the Holy Spirit, inspiring biblical authors, we get scripture. That's their view. And that so informs how they pray and how it should inform how we pray. They're going to quote Psalm 2 here in part. Why did the Gentiles rage? So God, this is the sovereign Lord who said through David, and he poses a question. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Now, that's the question. And I want to argue that the rest of this is answer. Answer. This is the question, and here comes the answer. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why do the people's plot in vain? And here comes the answer. The kings of the earth set themselves and the and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. In other words, this plotting and this raging is happening. They are putting themselves up and the rulers are gathering against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the plotting. And then there's this dash. He breaks off and that's the, that's the end. End of quote why why because he's going to finish this with the current situation of Jesus death and resurrection to answer the question now why did they do this why did the Gentiles rage so let me jump and let me put this on the screen by itself so here we are why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain answer this is the answer the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together. I'll show you why I put the Greek here later. Gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now that's the end of the quote right there. They are raging and they are plotting. That's what this means. That's what they're doing. Why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? So here's the answer. Because they do this for... Truly in this city, there were gathered together. Same verb as from Psalm 2. So he quit quoting Psalm 2 and he shifts over to describing his 
very situation by which Jesus died. For truly in this city, namely Jerusalem, that's where this raging happened most recently. That's where this plotting is seen most clearly. In this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. That's this raging against the anointed. Your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Yes, that's who they're plotting against. God's anointed. Both Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles, they're they're the ones who are raging, and the peoples of Israel, to do what, here comes the kicker, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There's the answer. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot for Useless vanity, thinking by putting to death the Lord Jesus Christ. They have ended this thing called Christianity. Why are they doing this? Answer, you predestined it to happen. Can you see that? Can you see how the flow works here? So I'm arguing. Sorry, I'm going to clear this away now. This is the question. Why do the Gentiles... Rage and the people's plot to kill Jesus. Why did they do it? Why did the kings, like Pilate types, set themselves and rulers like these rulers of the synagogue and of the Jews? Why were they gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed Jesus? Why? Here's why. Because in this city they were gathered to do what your hand and your plan predestined to take place. So my conclusion is that when we look at this prayer, when they heard this opposition to the apostles, they lifted their voice to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, he identifies them, they identify him as the sovereign creator, and who through the mouth of David predicted the opposition to Jesus would come true exactly the way the Lord planned it. How his hand and his plan predestined to take place. And so my conclusion is that the first thing we see in this prayer, is God is sovereign. And he says it by saying he's creator, and he says it by saying he's absolute ruler, even over Pilate and the Gentiles as they rage against the Son of God. Now, what does that result in by way of the kind of thing they ask for? Next time.